0: Well, good morning. Hey, Chuck, before you go, do you want to come lead us in a, one verse of Rocky Top? Uh, sorry. As a, as a Texas fan, you have to gloat in Alabama's failures. Right, Marion? <laughs> so... Hey uh, so glad you're here. Um, if you're joining us online we're glad you're with us as well. Um, we have about eighty of our young families and their kids on a camp out this weekend, and so um, we're a little light in here, and I know that they're going to make sure they go back and watch so they can catch up and make sure they know where we are in this series. But this is week six of exiles and we're working through the book of First Peter dealing with some Christians who are really struggling is they face persecution, and the questions of why is this happening? If I'm following Jesus and I'm doing what I should, why is life difficult? And, and there's this, this problem that I think all of us relate to and that they are facing during the midst of this. It's this, what... I don't remember what my question was, Katie. Thank you, thank you. Hey. Um, what do you do when you find yourself in relationship with someone who does not follow Jesus? What, what do you do in life when you're in relationship with other people who aren't following Jesus? And so Peter goes through these kind of three spheres we talked about last week of authorities and government, master-slave relationship, husband and wife relationship, and how do you relate in each and every one of those? But there's this broader context within that. It's not just simply about these relationships. It's about all relationships. And it really kind of sets the stage into where he's going. And, and so we talked about these principles of relationship that are so important. The first being submission. Right? Right. That, that in every one of those relationships, the idea of submission was a part of it. And, and so we kind of redefined submission. And it's not this idea of just mindlessly doing whatever else anyone says, but it's this divine calling right, of a Christian to honor and affirm those in a place of leadership. It's the divine calling of a Christian to honor and affirm those in a place of leadership. And then he goes on to talk about the importance of that leading to transformation. Not just the transformation of you, but the transformation of those who are seeing the way that you're responding because they're seeing your Christ-likeness in everything that you do. And and the reason that we can do that is because this new identity that we have in Christ Jesus. And so these set-apart people are supposed to relate differently in this world to people, And it's supposed to look different than everyone else. There's something that sets them apart. And so we're going to pick up in verse 8 in chapter 3. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil. Or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For, and and he goes back and he's quoting from the Old Testament, quoting from Proverbs. Whoever would love life and see good days, I'm sorry, quoting from Psalms. um, See good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do It's a question. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are Blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. He says this, always be prepared to give an answer for everyone, to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. But he says to do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, right? And it seems to be like the core of this idea is character and integrity really matter. Be the same person in here that you are out there be the same person you are out there in here and I think a lot of times that scares us because we kinda have two personas we have the one that everyone else sees and then we have the one that everyone in here sees and so many times there is a disconnect and the problem is is everyone sees it are you the same person In here on Sundays, as you you are out there the rest of the week? Are there two different yous that everyone sees? And that character and integrity is so foundational for what people see in your life. But it's not just about character and integrity, it's the way that that is portrayed. And he says, you need to do this with gentleness and respect. This answer that you have is really important. But the way that message is conveyed matters. And it has to be done with gentleness and respect. And here's the thing, okay, I, I get, for most of you, you hear that and you say, okay, character and integrity is important, I got that, but gentleness and respect, that does not work in our world. Like, that doesn't work in our world. You, you need to be loud, and you need to put your foot down, and you need your voice to be heard. Um, just, where are my kids going? <laughs> I don't notice anyone else's kids doing anything in church but mine. <laughs> Sorry. Where, where were we? Um... It doesn't work, right? <laughs> Sorry. It doesn't work. Like, you have to be the loudest voice. I, I kind of learned that lesson about myself when I was in youth ministry um, from a secretary that I had. Her name was Lisa Joe, And I had an intern my very last summer when I was at West Hill in Cleburne. And um, hmm, what's the nicest way I could describe him? If I wasn't leaving at the end of that summer, I probably would have had to fire him. It was bad. Like, and he got on my nerves. He, he didn't follow instructions really well. And there was this one, um, one day in particular where we had a big event coming up, and I really needed him to run some errands. And so I said, hey, I need you to go over here to, the, to this side of town, and I need you to do this. Cleburne's not a real big town. There's two major streets. Okay? It's not difficult. And so, uh, and, and you got phones, you got maps. And so he calls me after he's been driving around for about 45 minutes. I'm assuming everything I've asked him to do is done. And he calls me and says, hey, Gary, I can't find this place. First of all, I do not know how you drive around 45 minutes in Cleburne, Texas. And second, without finding it. And so I'm saying, okay, you need to go here, and you need to do this. I know where you are. Turn here, turn here, and you'll be right there. And he calls me back about 15 minutes later, and he still hasn't found this place. And so I start explaining it to him again, and I'm getting really, really frustrated. And my secretary, Lisa Joe, comes into my office after I hung up with him. And she says, do you realize that all you did the second time you talked to him on the phone was say the exact same thing, only slower and louder? No, I didn't. Because that's generally what we think will work, right? If we just make sure our voice is louder, then we will be heard. If we talk louder, if we project our voice then it's going to, to take care. It's going to do the job. But there's a problem with that. I want to kind of show you real quick. Um, who am I going to? Scott, can I pick on you for a second? Come, come right over here to the center for us. Um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to turn my microphone off. Um, so if you're online, that's why. Um, there's not a, a disconnect. Can sit down. Did, did you notice something that had to happen? As we got farther apart, I had to get louder. In our political landscape right now, it seems like everything is pushing towards the pulse, further and further apart. And there's not any space in the middle. have conversation. And so what you have is this massive distance between two sides with everyone yelling across the aisle so they can make sure their voice is heard. And I think there's a tendency for that mentality to find its way into the church. Where where Jesus and and Peter... Do you notice something about Peter's letter? I I hope you're kind of picking this up. It it was like an aha moment for me this week. Right? That Peter spent a ton of time with Jesus. And a lot of his letter sounds like the Sermon on the Mount lived out. It, It sounds like, blessed are the poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Right? And, and that you are going to be persecuted, but you are salt. And salt loses its saltiness. It can't be made salty again. And you're the light of the world. And people don't take a lamp and put it under a bowl. They put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. Like Peter's letter sounds so much like the Sermon on the Mount. Lived out. Like you're experiencing these really difficult times and you're experiencing persecution and the tendency is to say, well, okay, we need to be louder and we need to make our voice heard. Peter says this answer that we are prepared to give has to come from a place of gentleness and respect. And you can say, well, that doesn't work. Is it Jesus' way? Or is it your way? Because I'll I'll just be honest, a lot of times I kind of default to my way. I I default to the way that I know and the way I think will work. But, But here are some truths. I've never met someone who became a Christian because they lost an argument. I've never met someone who became a Christian because of a snarky Facebook comment. I've met lots of people who are not Christians because of the two. I have met numerous people who are followers of Jesus because people loved them, respected them, and invested in them regardless of where they came from. And I think what Peter wants you to understand is that regardless of whatever else is going on in your world, regardless of what is happening, your witness for Christ matters immensely. Because the world is watching. And what they see in your life is important. See, we can talk about engage our neighbors, but it does not matter what we do for our neighbors if our neighbors do not understand that we are for them. That we love them, that we're ready to invest in them. And let me tell you, we have an uphill battle. Because the church has black eyes. And it's bruised and beaten from a past that's not always the greatest answer for the world to look at. And here's the thing, is people who... Aren't a part of this body, they don't differentiate between all the other bodies. And so when you talk about things like the sex scandal in the Catholic Church, or you talk about divisions, it all gets lumped onto us. We have an uphill battle. And so our witness and our Christ likeness matters immensely. And the way that that Christ-likeness is portrayed matters. Do they see something different? Do they see something in you and in your life that they have to have? That they want to be a part of? See, they're facing persecution. Persecution. And you can ask the question, why? You can say, well, it's because of their God. No, no, no. The Roman Empire did not care what God you worshipped. They could care less. They just wanted to know who was your king. And who you were going to submit your life to. And who you were going to bow your knee to. Because if you were going to bow your knee to King Jesus and declare that He is King and He is Lord of your life, then your life would reflect that answer. That you're going to seek peace and pursue it. That your life is going to follow Christ in every way. And all of the stuff inside that's not supposed to, that doesn't look like Christ that we're pleading and begging for God's Spirit to come inside and clean house. To, to, to bring healing to us. And to make us more and more like Jesus. So here, here's the hope that you have. And then he reminds them what that hope is. And, and I want you to understand like, how um, Christ-centric 1 Peter is. This this is not just like, here's moralistic behavior that you need to follow. It's always out of a life that looks like Jesus. So he says this, for Christ. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Verse 19. After being made alive, He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Which, okay, so so you're reading 1 Peter, and you got this this flow, it's going. Your witness for Christ matters. And then all of a sudden, Peter seems to like just take this this right-hand turn and be like, hey, by the way, right after Jesus died, he went and made this proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. And so, as a reader, you're sitting there like, wait, 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 what? What's going on? It was after he died that he was made alive, right? He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, right? And this proclamation that he makes is really, really important. His proclamation comes through his resurrection. That Jesus is king over all creation. Right? It's Revelation 11:15. For the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our Christ, of our God and of His Messiah, and He will reign forever and ever. Right? That, that is the proclamation that he's speaking of, that now Jesus stands in this place of authority. Over all and over everything and everything in creation submits to him. And you think, okay, well, that's going to happen someday somewhere in the no no no, 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 no. That happened in the resurrection, that Jesus became king and ruler of everything, that even death submits to him. Even death bows its knee to Him. This is the proclamation that Jesus Christ is King. He went and made this proclamation to these imprisoned spirits. Going on, let's go back to verse, um, I don't know where we are, there we go. After being made alive, He went and made, um, go back one verse, there we go. He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, verse 20. To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. Verse 21. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to Him. And you can say, well, the world doesn't look like everything is in submission to Him. Not everyone has bowed the knee But Jesus Christ is now King. Because the only way you become King is to take out the ruling superpower of your day. And the greatest power to this point in the world is death. It always has the final say. Until it doesn't. Until the one you put into death cannot be held in death. And he can't be held in death because God has vindicated him and God has raised him from the dead. Because God lifted him up. And this is the proclamation. That now Jesus Christ is King over all the earth, and everything is under His authority. That is the royal proclamation, that in Jesus' death and resurrection, God is announcing His victory over all authorities and powers, both past, present, and future, that Jesus Christ is King. And he says there, like in the days of Noah, what, what happened in the days of Noah? Go, go back real quick, Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of their, the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. God has created these people to bear His image in the world. And somewhere along the way, they've lost sight of that calling. They've lost sight of that vocation. And they've gone and done things their own way, and it hadn't really worked out. And God is filled with regret. And so He goes to a man named Noah, and He says, I want you to build an ark. And Noah and his family build an ark with everyone watching and scoffing and laughing. And yet it's that ark that's going to save them. As rain comes on the earth, and it floods the earth. They were saved through the water in this ark. And he says this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not as the removal of dirt from a body, not like the Levitical washings that we've seen for the past centuries. It it wasn't like these Levitical washings where it was just about being clean on the outside. This was about being clean on the inside. And, And he clarifies that saving. This is an inner cleansing, right? This is where you're saved. It saves you, right? It saves you by the resurrection. So he says this baptism saves you, but then it's not just this baptism saves you. Because there's nothing, there's water behind us. There's nothing powerful enough in the water to save you. Right? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that saves you, it's you dying with him, entering into him that saves you. He saves you. I think Peter might say it like this, Jesus is my ark. He is the the ark. He's the one that I hide my life in. And He is going to carry me through in the water. Because this pattern emerges that we see time and time again through Scripture, through the water into new life. This pattern that happens. See, God saves Noah in the ark by cleansing his world and giving him a new start in a world recreated by water. A world where the, the, the death and the despair and the brokenness of the past was gone and a world was made new. Water judged the old world and cleansed it. And baptism judges our old world and cleanses it. As we walk through the water into new life. And so the water becomes this place we submit to King Jesus And we begin this process of being transformed to be more and more like Him through the power of His Spirit as we are given this new identity as a child of God. We're reborn and given this new life. And so Peter tells you, he says, I want you to remember that you're always to be prepared to give an answer for the the hope that you have. And I want you to do this with gentleness and respect. Because your character and integrity matter. What people see in your life matters. Why does it matter? Why is it so important, this hope that we have, being reflected to the rest of the world? Because the rest of the world will see Jesus through you. Think about this. Tomorrow, when you go to work. Today, when you go to a restaurant. Or you go for a walk in your neighborhood. There is a possibility that you will encounter someone and the only hope they ever have of seeing Jesus is you. See, and I've come to kind of believe that I think we earn the right to tell people about Jesus. We earn the right by the way that we live our lives. Where they don't see a disconnect between the two. Where they see us treat people with integrity and our character matches. And we do it with gentleness and respect. Like, I think you earn the right to talk about Jesus by the way that you look like and reflect Jesus. And I think it was always supposed to be that way. Your witness for Christ matters. It matters It matters because you reflect Him in everything you do. Do you remember the movie "The Lion King? I know everyone in here probably has seen this and the the scene towards the the very end of the movie, where Rafiki and Simba meet in the jungle. And Simba's like, I've lost, I've lost my dad, and I don't know who I am. And Rafiki leads him on this run through the woods or through the jungle, and he brings him up to this watering hole. And he says, there's your father. And he looks down, and he sees this reflection of himself and the the water, and he says, no, 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 no. That's not my father. That's that's me. And Rafiki says, "No, no no. Look closer." And as Simba peer, peers down into the water, the reflection in the water changes. It changes from Simba to Mufasa. And he sees him fa- him, his self. He sees his father now in himself. And I think that's the goal. Right? That, that's what Jesus is wanting. He's wanting to transform and change who you are. From the inside out. Not this outer cleansing, but this inner cleansing. Where, where you look and the reflection that you see is no longer you. but it's Jesus. And I'll tell you, I still have a long way to go. But that does not happen through my power and my strength. It happens, one, from me submitting my life to King Jesus and saying, you are Lord, You are the one that saved me. You are the one that redeemed me. And I am submitting my life to you. And it's not just a one-time thing that happens when we enter the water. It is a daily practice of saying, God, today, once again, I bow before you. And I give you all of me to do with whatever you will to make me more and more like your son so that the world would see something different in your life and in mine. Father, today... We bow before You, King Jesus. And once again, we let go of our stubborn pride and our desire to be right, to have the loudest voice. And we surrender once again to You and to Your will. And our prayer is simply this. Make us today more like Jesus and allow the world to see His goodness in and through our life, the one who saved us, the one who redeemed us, the one who called us His own. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If we could help you this morning in any way. Our shepherds, their spouses are going to be at the back of the auditorium. We would love to pray with you. If you've never submitted to King Jesus and been baptized in Him, today would be a great day to do that, but they will be in the back and would love to help you while we stand and sing.